And those fees are like cancer for your returns. They eat them up over time, which is why those mutual funds never out earn the index fund. So make it simple and don't think that it makes any sense to time the market. You don't win by timing the market. You only win with time in the market. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Dre and Smiley, the Inner Circle Podcast. So Smiley, man, you know, I was, I was online not too long ago and was, you know, doing some scrolling, looking for interesting guests, extraordinary people. I came across this page called Modern Husbands, Modern Husbands. So my initial thought was, okay, that's probably the antithesis of Mad Men. Right, we've all seen Mad Men. Where <laughs> these these guys that just have no respect and whatnot. So I dived a little deeper into it, and dude, it's a fascinating approach to uh, obviously, obviously, you know, being a better man, a person, uh, a spouse, a partner. But there's layers to it, and so let, let me let me kick this off by reading the bio of the guest we have on today. We'll get into. Uh, to his journey to starting Modern Husbands. So Brian Page, our guest today, is a dedicated personal finance educator with 15 years of experience, recognized as a National Educator of the Year, CNN Money Hero, and CEE Forbes Award winner. Brian founded Modern Husbands to extend his mission to empower couples and managing their finances independently. His impactful contributions include developing content for renowned institutions and serving as a visiting scholar at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Now, Brian focuses on supporting his family while continuing to make a positive impact in the realm of personal finance education. With that, Brian, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So let's start from the beginning. So tell me about your journey in finance. And the reason I ask that is because I, I remember vividly my, my journey. We all have a different journey, right? Um, my journey in finance was I remember vividly severely mismanaging my money and you know, being in college. And if somebody robbed me, they'd just be practicing. <laughs> we, 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 <laughs> you know, I was so broke. You know, the, you know the next slide, Smiley? I was so broke. I couldn't pay attention. All, all that stuff, right? <laughs> And eventually, you know, I matured, um, you know, what I would think of late in life, you know, I was still in college, but I was, you know, in my 20s, I matured and started doing a better job managing finance. And so, you know, I've, you know, become a much smarter, wiser person, not to the extent where I feel confident enough to teach financial education, but um, that's sort of my journey. Tell me about your journey and how you got into education and that sort of thing. And, And then we'll go on to modern husbands after that. So I, I, I think probably the, the greatest lessons I learned to manage money came from my, my family, in particular, my father. So uh, the, the lesson that really, I think, gave birth to my passion for teaching financial literacy uh, didn't happen in, in college, uh, in a college classroom, I should say. Um, it happened when I came home uh, from college after my, after my freshman year. So I grew up in a small, like rural town where... Uh, I had not been exposed to what, you know, any wealth, right? Like any real wealth. I didn't even know like private high schools existed until I was in high school. Mm. And so I thought, you know, kind of like how we lived was kind of more the norm. 
so so how we live um you know i'm the kind of guy where you know i, I the only fish i ever had was a fish stick with like oh the yeah goon, you know at yeah. the bottom you know fried <laughs> 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 bologna sandwiches was like our go-to okay. for a nice meal um but you know my my parents you know they did really well they're just they're just frugal and and you know my dad in particular he he grew up he grew up pretty poor like they, they he grew up on a on a farm and they were sharecroppers and um you know they they unfortunately you know he, he didn't have any money and uh he had to live in a railroad car and work on the railroad uh to afford to go to college right so he he at least lived for free in that railroad car and uh and kind of growing up, you know, kind of he had this spirit of frugality that was to the extreme. So, you know, for example, um, the car that we drove in, in, or I drove in high school, um, it was, it was, uh, came, or I should say it came after, um, a car that we sold to somebody who recruited it to enter it in the Clinton County demolition derby. <laughs> so we're driving home one day and this guy followed us home. Like he saw our car, did a U-turn. It's like, Oh, this can win. And it did. It did. So that's the car we drove. Now, granted, my mom taught, my dad was a computer engineer. He had rental properties. I mean, they're not, it's not like they're, they're hurting for income, but that's what we drove. The next car we drove, the, the speedometer didn't work, which you know, during the day isn't a problem because you go with the flow of traffic at night, man, you're just in God's <laughs> hands. You have no idea how fast you are going. The gas gauge didn't work. You could lift the carpet and see the road. Front seat, back, back seat, right? It didn't matter. So, so my dad like offloads the car because the hitch fell off and he used to take the lawnmower to the rental properties and he couldn't do it anymore because the wagon went into the front yard when the hitch rusted <laughs> off. Right. So he's like, ah, I think it's time. Right. And, and so he goes into the dealer and tells the dealer, all right, the only thing you gotta do is take your, take my car off of my hands for free. That's my trade in. <laughs> so finds the paperwork salesperson looks at the car and leaves. He tells Mr. Page, I'll come right back, comes back with the entire sales force. And they're looking at this thing like, like they've never, it looked like a dinosaur to them. They've never seen a bigger piece of garbage in their life. So my dad's like, Oh, oh okay. Hold on. Now, now I know what's going on. Let me show you this. The, the door handles all had rusted off. And so instead of buying a different car, like most people, he drilled holes where the door handles were and ran metal fish wire. And so to open the door, it was like starting a weed whacker. So he shows that, pops it open, and they're like, and they're on their knees right there. So that's what I drove in high school. Okay. It's, it's a real chick magnet. So anyway, I come back from college. And I'm like, Dad, what the hell? We, I mean, we weren't. You guys made decent right. money, right? right? And and I'm like, what? Why did you do that? And you know, we had, you know, family challenges. Everybody has sure. their thing. My mom had multiple sclerosis and, you know, so there was, you know, a lot of medical bills and, but, you know, we, we could have had a better car than that. <laughs> so like that, what, what were you thinking? He goes, oh, I just get out a calculator. I'm like, all right. So I get out the calculator and he's like, well, how much is a monthly car payment? Like, oh, I don't know. A few hundred bucks a month. He's like, I put that in. How about how about comprehensive insurance? Because you had to take out a loan if you're if you're borrowing to buy a car, hundred bucks a month, whatever. So I type it in, and and he's like, take that times twelve months. 
All right. Now take that times 20 years. And I'm staring at this, you know, really big number. I'm like, well, what's the point? The point is, son, no kid of mine is going to have to live in a fucking railroad car Mm. like I had to, to afford to go to college. That's the only way I could figure out how to pay for Mm. yours. And that was the first time I realized, man, money, it's, it's, it's the, it's not, it shouldn't be green. It'd be, it should be the shape of a heart Mm. because it's just the love that we can transfer to the things that mean the most to us. And I saw how that love can support a wife who's hurting a family who wants something better in their lives. And then eventually I saw it at a title one school district where you can make an impact for kids as they transition in the world, understanding how to thrive in today's economy, how to thrive in today's workforce. And so what I try to do now as I've evolved in my career is share with engaged and married couples how they can thrive together using the money lessons that we know are effective and finding the right fits for them, not just in managing money, but also in supporting each other's career in a 21st century workforce. Wow, Brian, that, that 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 story is so impactful. I'm gonna pass it to Smiley here in a second, but one of the takeaways as you share that is that I think there's so much value when a parent can show firsthand how money is just a tool, right? And it's not. It, it shouldn't yeah. be. It shouldn't define you. It shouldn't be used to create a status. I mean, clearly, based on what you shared, your parents weren't struggling, you know, had rental property, et cetera, et cetera. And your dad right. was wise enough from his experiences living in a railroad car to say, you know what, you know, I'm going to make a shift here so that my children, right, can live a better life than I've lived. And hopefully the money lessons I've taught them, they'll pass on to their children, their children, et cetera. My quick story here, and again, I'll pass it to Smiley, my father-in-law. Similar story, Brian. He grew up a sharecropper. At one point, um, they lived, him and his brothers were homeless. And they had to, you know, go through dumpsters and things to find food. And, um, you know, through that experience, my father-in-law was frugal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, if you yeah. saw this guy walking down the street, you might want to say, "Hey, you, 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 would you like a dollar?" You know, that's how he didn't. He didn't care. Once when we first got married, I, I love sharing the story with my wife because we laugh about it all the time. First got married, and I'd known him for a while. We're standing in the parking lot waiting for the ladies to come out of the store, and he has these like these like purple sunglasses, you know, thinly wired frame and. You know, like he—he's you know, in the seventies. He doesn't care about you know looks or anything. And then you know, just regular sunglasses. He takes them off. He says, "Andre." So he said, "What do you think about these?" Well, yeah, they're not bad. They're not bad. They keep the sun out, right? He said, "Yeah, yeah." He's like, "Guess, guess how much I paid for these?" My mom like, I, "I don't know." He's like, "A dollar." And you know, I'm a young guy. I'm like, you know, <laughs> what do I say now? As he set me up, but. But the takeaway was that he realized that, you know, he didn't have to spend money on his, his, his family is well taken care of, paid for all his kids, college education, um, the cars, the kids drove in, in high school, burned more oil than gas. Uh, yeah, 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 you, had, you had to keep a pack of fuses in the car because every time you start it, it blow a fuse, things like that. So 
the lessons that you know that my wife and her siblings got from that you know are are you know you just it's it's something you can't read in a book and you know it's, it's difficult to teach but that's kind of the takeaway i got from that story brian I'm, I'm glad you shared that yeah you know one of the one of the things to to keep in mind um kind of i'm sure as we transition to talk about managing money in a marriage is that uh, a lot of the the relationships that we have with money uh, are formed in our childhood. And, you know, my, obviously my father's frugality is extreme. And like, as a family, like, that's just kind of how I, that's just what I know with money. Right. And I didn't have financial trauma, but I, it was actually my youngest kid. It was the first time it dawned on me when we were talking about how frugal he was when, you know, Carson was like, dad, you know, he had trauma. Like I, you guys all joke around about this, but that's trauma. And, you know, it's in, in my kid was right. And the reason I bring this up is because the way that I personally approach my relationship with money is very different than other people. And so using my spouse as an example, you know, her, her family lived in a really nice house right? They, they drove like a Volvo and, um, you know, the kind of, the, the, they looked wealthy from the outside, but they always lived check to check. Like they really didn't have any retirement or, and so, you know, kind of her money story looks more like the, what most of America envisions as having money. And most of America often does where they're trying to keep up with the Joneses. And so when she, gets a bonus when she gets a pay increase what she does is she traces her decisions back to her childhood on what she thinks is a successful uh, approach to managing money which is wanting to have nicer stuff and so you have on one hand one spouse who sees money simply as a vehicle to empower family that takes no value whatsoever in, in possessions. Like I, like I literally, when I was between college and, and working full time, I lived in a, an apartment in an attic. They rented by the room. Whoa. Do you know what it's like? <laughs> I was, I was the only one that was not on on probation, on probation in that house. Yeah, exactly. I, I passed through. We uh, when we were moving out, my buddy looks at me. He goes, "Oh, Jesus, Page man, you took this one too far." They were smoking crack on the front porch. We walked through the common area on the second floor in the kitchen. They're all high. One guy's got the teardrop, oh, no. you know, on his cheek. And, oh, no. and I'm and I'm and he's like, "Dude, doesn't this scare you?" Like, "Nah, they're scare me. guys. Scare me. I'm only paying ten dollars a month to live here." <laughs> Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, they're paying me. So, so you've got you've got like that mentality. And then my wife's and so what happens when you make pretty good money together? Do you live in a big house, a small house? What kind of car do you drive? What what do you do about college education? Like these these conversations come to a head because you have deeply rooted feelings about money and how it influences and impacts others. And that is really tough for couples to grapple with. And that's why money is the leading cause of divorce. 
you know, I want to I want to ask you because um, I'm going to circle back to what your son said about financial tra- trauma because the more you speak with someone, that's the root cause of all their things because we fight or flight, we avoid pain. So whatever pain we experience financially as a household or as a person, that's a trauma that dictates who we are with our money in the future. But I want to ask you, your title, Modern Husband, how did you come up with that name? So so Modern Husbands was born when um, I essentially was Googling like how to be a great husband. And, and there wasn't very much good stuff out there. Like, like things like, going, yeah. Oh God, I'm a man. I feel kind of guilty. <laughs> you right. know? And, and I had always, um, you know, had actually two full-time jobs. Like when I was, I was teaching, um, I was consulting too. I was, I was coaching and my wife stayed home or she had the flexible job. And, so when I left Ohio, I did it to support her career in Atlanta. And I had this, you know, great job in, 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 at a leading national provider for financial education. But, you know, long story short, we had challenges of our own with, with three kids during COVID. And we didn't need money, but we needed one of us to have flexibility. And we both had high stress jobs. <laughs> so, um, you know, I, for the first time, took a back seat. My wife's way smarter than me anyway. She's, she's killing it in her career. And so I decided, you know, let, let me kind of figure out how to like, along with doing the laundry for the first time, like, like, how do I, how do I do this? And I'm like Googling it and, uh, you know, I just figured, I guess, you know, there's modern husband, like, what is it? The majority of America is dual income, right? I mean, most households are due income. We know that it's overwhelming, but in 40% of households now women make the same, if not more than their husbands. So the idea that, Though a woman always has to have the job that that's that's has flexibility where she has to take care of the home like that just doesn't make sense in the common workforce. So my thought was, well, like we moved here for her and I love my wife. She's ambitious. Let, let me do this now. So, you know, obviously there's a learning curve, but let me do this now meant managing the home, managing money as as a team. Now, obviously, managing money was something that I always kind of tackled it myself, but when managing the home wasn't. And so I just along the way decided let's, let's create a company. And, and uh, the goal was to try to share winning ideas to manage money in the home as a team. That's simple. And so when you look at our website at modernhusbands.com or our podcast, you, you know, you'll see that we are devoted to doing just that, you know, in plain language. And I have, you know, people always have all kinds of questions, like a you know, range of like what? What's this guy like? Is he? Does he spend his weekend like burning walls in San Francisco? Like, he, right? like, like what? <laughs> like no, I'm just a normal dude, man. I'm in four fantasy football leagues. I've got nine FanDuel this weekend. You know, I I just love right. my wife. It's 2024 right. now, and you know, I, we need to figure out how to support one another. Love it. So so. Now coming back to the finance, you you work with married couples and you help them on their financial journey. What is the the thing that shocked you the most when you speak with couples? Boy, there's I can answer that question in a lot of different ways. I mean, our if you look at our advisory board, it's stacked with you know a lot of the leading national experts, academics. So, um, you know, we we work you know more. We don't work individually with couples. Actually, we we uh, we're doing something where we're we're creating a toolkit. Uh, where we help people transition into marriage. We're in the midst of that now. Uh, but we obviously have like lots of people who, who write in, uh, podcast guests. People are always hitting us up with questions. 
and it, it depends on the topic. If it, if it relates to money, um, I would, I would say what, what struck me the most is how little people talk about it. Like they don't ever have any conversations and that that's really the problem because when you're, you're when you're talking about kind of quote money, you're, you're not talking about money. You're talking about time. You're talking about energy. You're talking about resources and you, you can't live a life together without understanding how to work forward with the resources that you have. And it's, you know, because couples have histories with money, maybe they didn't take a personal finance class in high school. Maybe they had financial trauma. Maybe their parents didn't understand anything about money and they didn't talk to them about it. They just don't know how to do it. And then, and then as a result, typically the conversation goes, when they do talk about money, it goes something like this. Somebody gets the mail, there's a bill, there's a credit card statement, and there's a spouse that's like, what is this? Or... (laughs) There's seven Amazon boxes on the front porch for 46 days in a row. And they look at the, they look at the credit card. They're like, what is going on? So the, the conversation isn't a conversation. It's a reaction that leads to a big giant fight. And there is no worse way to talk about money because I, I don't know about you guys, but when I lead with something like that with my wife, it does not go mm. well. Usually this, usually within five minutes, the next thing that's said is something like, well, while we're, ta- while we're uh, at it, and that's, that's when It's funny when you, when you mentioned, I don't know if you noticed this, there's, there's no fighting or arguing or anything, but when you mentioned the Amazon boxes, did you notice that, uh, Smiley's eyes started to switch. <laughs> Are you the spender? I, I believe Jeff Bezos has ruined so many households in America. Jeff Bezos with that on delivery, order from home, anything. I, I walk down the street and my neighbors, if I walk with my colleagues and we look at the neighbor's houses, you're like, all right, that's an argument tonight. That's an argument. It's three or more boxes. You know, it's gonna be a fight. It's like, what the hell? Now, now, now we joke, we joke, but go back sixty years. Go back sixty years. Women, women could not have credit cards unless they worked full time. Uh, that didn't change until I think it was 1974. Um, you you used cash, or you wrote a check, right? You 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 went to nine different places to do your shopping. Walmart didn't exist. And so what to get your cash, you've got to go to the bank. And so the reason I bring this up is all of those are friction. Going to the bank takes time. That's friction. Handing over cash means that there's actual psychological pain. Going to nine different places takes time, time that you often don't have. These are all examples of why it was easier to spend less 60 years ago. Not because people were inherently more frugal. By nature, we're not. It was because it was so much more difficult to spend money. Now, you are literally a click away. Amazon built a structure around the, around the psychology of our own selfishness recognizing that as human beings, we're gatherers, we just, when we see something and we buy it, we get that dopamine spurt. We feel really good. We feel really happy. 
And it didn't take any time. It didn't take any pain. We didn't have to stand up. We didn't have to see the cash transfer. We don't have to deal with the consequences, at least for a couple of days, if not till the statement comes in. So that is a perfect example of why managing money in 2024 is so difficult, particularly in a marriage. You know, Brian, as you share that, something else comes to mind. My son recently, um, he's, he's, he's a teenager. Uh, we went somewhere, I forget where we were, and he said he wanted something. And I was like, all right, so, you know, how much is it? He tells me. I said, well, do you have enough money for it? He says, oh, I, I have to spend my, my money? Which is similar to what you're saying. It's almost when you have a credit card, it's almost like it's not your money you're spending. You just swipe and go, swipe and go, swipe and go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That cash transaction, like you were saying, that friction is, I'd say it's akin to me telling my son, hey, you got to spend your money. Think about it, right? It gives him the option to think about it. Yeah. So yeah, if, the swipe and go, I, I agree. Going online, is, it's, it's convenient, but it's also a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a problem because it's just so easy, you know? Um, here's a question for you. You mentioned, you know, finance is the, or the, the lack of, or problems around finance is the number one reason for divorce, which begs the question, what do you suggest for couples that just have that hard time discussing finance. What's what's what are the baby steps they can take to start having those conversations? My guess is that this is going to be in the program you guys are designing or you may already have some program out there that talks yeah, about it. It is. But yeah, for those listening and watching on YouTube, what do you suggest those couples start doing to make it easy? Cuz my guess is everyone that's in a partnership wants to have the the best partnership possible. Each of them, mm -hmm. perhaps maybe one of them, is, is uncomfortable and they want to become, un, they, I'm sorry, they're uncomfortable and they want to become comfortable with those financial conversations. What do you suggest? Yeah, I'm glad you, you said baby steps. That's important um, because it's not going to all happen, happen at once. So let's, let's assume in this scenario that the couple's already married, but they're having difficulties talking about money. Here's what I'd suggest. Um, go buy a lottery ticket, just one. And you're probably thinking, wait a second, this guy is supposed to be a financial expert. You're telling me to buy a lottery ticket. Um, so, so what the research says is that one lottery ticket actually creates a ton of happiness. Um, not because you're ever going to win cause you're not right. Um, but because it creates the kind of dreaming and thinking that gives you joy, you buy the lottery ticket. Now, what are you going to do with it? So buy a lottery ticket and then schedule what's called a money date where, there aren't kids around. You don't have any phones around you. You're uninterrupted. You got an hour or two just to sit down and talk. And with that lottery ticket, just simply say, hey, if we won this million dollars or this $2 million, what would we do with it? What would we do with it? And spend the next 10 or 15 minutes kind of dreaming, right? Having a fun conversation. What you're doing is you're talking about your goals in retirement because your 401k is your retirement. Your 401k is your lottery ticket, but you will cash that in. And so you're starting the conversation in an enjoyable way by dreaming about how you want to live your life with your spouse. And through that, it makes it far easier to start to talk about the kinds of decisions that you can make together to get to that point 
because you're starting with the end in mind and your, your vision is joyful and it's happy. It's the opposite of being angry about an Amazon box. I love it. Tell me this with couples. I'm going to, I'm going to make a quote. I'm going to paraphrase it from, um, I think it was Gabriel Union. She married to Wade Wade and they Ooh. mentioned she was married to this one guy, but she made more money than him. So therefore she felt like she had the power in the relationship and she could go cheat on him because she had more money. And then when she got with Dwayne Wade, he was a multimillionaire and they, she felt like they were equal because he brought in the same income as they did. How do you, how do you dissect or diffuse the power struggle when someone says, I make the most money. You got to listen to me because it can be used as a weapon in relationships as a way to like a power trip because I'm power hungry. But how do you diffuse that in baby steps? It's like, well, you're a team now. And that doesn't mean you get to tell her or she gets to tell you. But do you see that a lot with the power dynamics? Here's, here's what I would say. Um, I would never baby step my way out of a house on fire. <laughs> if, if my wife starts telling me that, I'm running. I'm running. <laughs> I, I, wrote, I wrote about this in, in Market Watch. Yeah, when, when you use money as a tool for power in a relationship, um, you, you, are, um, you are actually weaponizing it. That is, that is a form um, uh, of, of financial abuse, period. Like, and, and women actually historically are the victims of that. Um, and, and now as women are beginning to earn more, they're, they're creating victims and men. Um, they're... That, and, but that, that in itself, there's a lot to unpack there. So the first thing I would do is, in all seriousness, um, I would seek the, the help of a financial therapist, which I'm not. I've got a bunch of them on, on my board. We have a bunch of them on our podcast. But if you go to the, uh, if just Google Financial Therapy Association, Financial Therapy Association, there's a directory. And these people are trained psychologists and money experts to help couples work through these because that, that's serious. That that's the kind of right there. Like if, if somebody tells me that, I think ah, you're, you're destined for divorce. Um, the, the relationship kind of like unpacking this though, where maybe it's not that overt. Maybe, maybe it's like, they just kind of feel that way or you're seeing those patterns. Um, you have to kind of take a step back and look and, and, and decide whether or not, money is going to somehow create more influence in your relationship. And again, I don't think it ever should. Um, but one of the remedies for that, who people, for people who are really in love, they get along in every other way, um, is to, ha instead of having all of their money in one joint account is to, is to separate it. And, and here's what I mean by this. Um, and I want to preface it by saying Dr. Olson, who's on our board from Indiana University, her and Dr. Dr. Rick from Michigan, Eli Finkel from Northwestern, they came out with groundbreaking research this summer that found that uh, having all of your money together causes happiness in marriage. Before it was a correlation, causes meaning they've literally spent two years with three groups of people. One group, they told them, you must pull your money together. The next group said, nope, you must do yours, mine, and ours, meaning you have a joint account and then separate accounts. Mm -hmm. And the others choose your own adventure, whatever you want. And then after two years, they measured their marital satisfaction. And the groups who had all their money together, even the force groups, that there was a huge buffer where you usually experience an unhappiness dip after first getting married. 
it buffered that. So, so for most mm-hmm. people, having all your money together is, yeah. is best for your marriage, but not all. Yours, mine, and ours works like this. You have a joint account for bills. So imagine you both get paid, you both have jobs, both of your money, your money should go into that account where it is psychologically laundered, right? It's psychologically, it's like, all it's now it's in there together, even though she might be making, you know, 80% more, it's psychologically laundered. That's our money. So now you feel a little bit more like a team than, than like a, a, a sales competitor. And then the, the money for there is pays bills, but then you have separate accounts, individual accounts where the money goes from the, jo- the joint account to your individual accounts. And for some people that, that amount of money per month is, could be like a hundred bucks, 200 bucks. It's not much. It's just enough to kind of satisfy keeping some individuality and not having to talk about every expense. Um, and, and if it's a really drastic thing about, you know, money and, 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 and how much I make versus you. Um, one of the, one of the way strategies that works is rather than putting all of your money into this joint account, you could put a percentage of your income relative to your partners. Then that's actually the most fair way to do it. If you're like keeping score, which <laughs> doesn't work in most marriages, um, cause I mean, you can, I, my wife keeps score and I'm losing <laughs> 127,000, <laughs> but, but when, if let's say, let's say that you make twice as much as your partner, then you would put twice as much toward your expenses, right? So that way you're, you're, you're not, your partner's not left with nothing for their individual account. So that's, that's one way to handle it. Um, but that there are deeper, deeper concerns. If somebody's like, no, this is my money. And since I make more, I have right. the power. That's a big so, so what do you do, Brian? Because I feel like I'm doing it all wrong. My wife, my wife told me that my money is her money and her money is her buddy. What, what's the... <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> My, my guess is, is if that were the case, I was I should, I should probably run out of that burning house. I should probably leave. Is the advice you'd give? <laughs> I, I'm googling financial therapy. I didn't even know, I know. that term existed. I need, I need therapy. I got trauma. I got daily yeah. PTSD. I got you better charge PTSD. it back to Jeff Bezos when you do it. <laughs> <laughs> so brian uh here, here's the part of, of the podcast that that we uh it's, it's bittersweet the final four bittersweet because man i feel like we could talk to you for another hour about this stuff this is fascinating and it's so easy it's clear you have a passion for it and it's so easy for you to kind of drop these gems it's also clear that you are an educator you know some people have the knowledge but don't have a they're not versed or they, they don't do well sharing it. So I appreciate the stories and, and, and all that that you've shared with us and the examples. It's been uh it's been rich as 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 someone some people might say. So appreciate yeah. that. I like the little dad pun there. Hey, you caught stuff. that huh? Okay. All right. All right. I wasn't sure if you picked up what I was putting down, but I'm glad you got it. Absolutely. Okay. So final four. So uh we have a bank of questions that we're gonna choose from here. And the first one I think I want to ask you here is uh so let's talk about money. Let's talk about the biggest risk that you've ever taken. 
It doesn't have to deal with money. It could be uh, with anything. Oh, getting married. Okay. Tell me about it. Why, why, why was that the biggest uh, risk? It, your life partner will have more impact mm. on you than any other decision that you're going to make for the rest of your life. And whether or not it's uh, how you, you know, work together um, at home, um, how, you know, whether you can stay in love, um, how many children you're going to have, uh, your ability to work together to solve problems. Because when you have kids, there's, there's problems that come with them. Um, that, that it, to me is the biggest risk that you can take. So choose your partner wisely. And I was lucky. I did. Awesome. Well, here's one. What is something that never fails to make you laugh? Oh man. Oh, there's a lot of them. I, I have the, I have a sense of, I'm like a fifth grader, man. I, I am, (laughs) I love to, um, what is something that, where I always laugh? Oh, I, I, there's a, it's just a movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Mm. Vacation. It doesn't matter how many times I watch that movie or the scene where he's like, putting up the lights and the ladder falls down and he goes down with it. I, I can't I stop laughing. I've seen the movie like 400 times. So I'd say, I'd say anything in that movie. That's a classic. That's a classic. All right. um, so what is one thing most people don't know about you that you wish they did? Um, Boy, that is a really tough question. One thing that they that that they wish I did. Um, I don't know the answer. No problem. I, don't know. I guess. It's, yeah, I I don't know how to. I mean, I I would say I you know people don't know what it's like, you know to to grow up. Um, kind of in this, in this world where, you know, through fifth grade through ninth grade, like I won the lottery, like there were 20 of us that would meet at the park that was a block away and whatever sports season it was, that's what we were playing from sun up to sun down. There were no video games. Like there were, I think there was Atari and Nintendo came out and I, we didn't have them. We didn't have, obviously we didn't have cable. Yeah. <laughs> um, none of us did. And uh, I, I feel like that, that unless you really, really know me, you don't understand how important that part of my life was and that there's no way to describe the genuine happiness of just being a, a kid without any kind of problems. And you can just go play with your friends, sun up, sundown, and not worry about the things that kids worry yeah. about now. Like all, I, I can't, I would have, I would have struggled. Right. Like with all the social media, I would have not, I would have dropped out of the high school, like in the 10th grade, you could not have pried me away from some of these video games. These kids yeah. have now it's, it's unbelievable. Crazy. I can't, I don't play them, but I watch them and I think, Holy yeah. moly, Weeds legal and video yeah. games. Oh my god! <laughs> Weeds legal. <laughs> I don't think I could have made it. No, I'm not a pothead. I don't do any of that stuff. But if I'm in the tenth right. grade and I've got video games and weed around, who knows? Her, that could have been a combination. 
<laughs> well, to bring it home with the last final four, what is the worst advice you've ever received? Oh, gosh. Oh, just the, the general idea uh, that anyone can be a stock picker. You know, the smart money's here, the smart money's there. The It is, they are full of crap. And, the, it, you know, the, the financial industry's full of these people that try to make the in world of investing sound complex. And they just do that to scare you and not ask tough questions. That It's bull. It's nonsense. It, here's the statistics. If you put your money in just the S&P 500 index fund, which is for listeners who don't know what that is, imagine the 500 biggest companies in the United States by market cap. So it's financially well-off companies, let's just say in lay terms. Um, And you could own a little tiny fraction of all of those, or even you can even have an index fund where you own a little tiny fraction of all of the, the companies across the world. If by owning those little tiny fractions, what that means is that you'll earn the market average. So when somebody says the market's up, the market's down, that's just you, right? There, there should be no fees or the fees should be very, very, very minimal, like 0.01% kind of nothing, right? So average is good. Average inflation adjusted returns is 8%. Here's what that means. If you just invest a well, 8 thousand after your 401k eight thousand dollars a year of household income household income and you get some sort of company match you're going to be a millionaire multiple times over if you start when you're young just putting it in index funds now imagine this you got this financial advisor that tells you hey this mutual fund this beat the market last year cool how did it do over the last 10 years because if you look at that graph in 99.9 percent of instances the index fund outperformed it, 99.9. But here's the difference. The financial advisor, in many instances, does not have to put your best interest ahead of their own. It's called the suitability standard. They are trying to push that product because they get a big commission from it. And that mutual fund has fees. And those fees are like cancer for your returns. They eat them up over time, which is why those mutual funds never out earn the index fund. So make it simple. Make sure that you get an index funds and don't think that it makes any sense to time the market. You don't win by timing the market. You only win with time in the market. Hello. What a a close. Mic drop. Mic drop. Let's let our listeners like process that for a minute. You don't win time in the market. You win with time in the market. Brian, this is like Drake said, we could talk to you forever. It's just like, I feel like I know you. I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm out there playing with you from sun up to sundown, playing football, basketball or soccer or whatever it is. So thank you very much for being on the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. This was great. Yeah, man. It sure was. Appreciate you being on. 